All right, I think it's time for another one of my unscripted, just going for it episodes. This one, I'm going to tell a story, a true story that happened to me. It doesn't exactly have the hallmarks of a beginning, middle, and end necessarily. Um, or it might, but I might not tell it well enough for you to recognize those parts. To be, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So this story is from when I was in third year of university. And I was taking a course called a 3370, which I realize is not at all interesting to anyone who has never been in outdoor recreation, parks, and tourism. But it's the, the course you take. Excuse me, I just burped. And I really hope you didn't hear that in your earphones. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's the course you take in third year, obviously, uh, and you plan it all the way through your second year, and then yeah, you you come back to school and in the fall, and then you go on this trip. Um, I think I've told you about the trip before. I'd be surprised if you hadn't heard of it. Um, it was a twelve-day canoe trip in Wabakini Provincial Park, which is a provincial park in northern Ontario that is one and a half times the size of PEI which I recognize you don't really have much of a frame of reference on the size of PEI, but it's a, it's a province, it's an island. And so this thing is huge. It's a huge, huge park. And we, we put in on the top left of the park or the Northwest, I should say. And we took out on the Southeast end of the park. So we crossed the park um, and it was really cool because we got to go into the par- a part of a park that people hadn't been to in a long time. Uh, I say people, there, there may have been some trips that have been in there, but it, was, it had been so infrequently traveled, and my school had never sent a, a trip into that section of the park. Um, and so to help offset some of the costs of this trip, the park asked us uh, if we would be willing to do a bit of research and a bit of... Um, mapping and a little bit of actually not mapping but like um assessing the accuracy of the map they had just published of that area well it was the the map was of the whole park but specifically they wanted to know how accurate their information about that section of the park was um and so we looking to make the the whole trip cheaper were definitely happy to do that and it was also cool because we got to contribute to the body of knowledge of that park um so yeah we we flew in to well, actually, at the first night of the trip, we we didn't fly because there was a big hurricane. But there was another ORPT group that was going in uh, on the same same set of days of the trip, um, and so they actually took a train in and flew out, and we flew in and paddled out to a, a road and got picked up. So we got delayed on the first night because there was there was rain. Uh, but anyways, there's there's more stories to be told from this trip. Um, there was a couple days that were absolute slogs, many, many portages. There was a couple days where the blueberries just didn't stop flowing and there was, there was fish, fresh fish every single day. But the specific story that I want to tell you about from this trip was, doesn't really have a name, but let's call it, um, the fire swamp portage. That's, that's what we, we named it on the trip anyways because well you'll see so i I don't know if you've seen the princess bride i think you have Um, and if not you probably know the reference of the fire swamp where there's 
pits that that shoot fire and there's giant giant rats that try to kill you and and so on um this portage didn't have that but our story begins um with our group my my, my trip um it was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon so the sun was still up and this is in this is in september in northern ontario so the days are still still pretty long um sunset was probably around eight o'clock then i could google it but it's more fun to just tell the story and we were we were getting pretty hungry we hadn't had dinner yet obviously we had 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 lunch but it was had probably been a couple hours since lunch i think we probably had it that day around noon i don't know exactly but that was about when we would usually have lunch noon or one o'clock so it had been a couple hours and we were getting pretty tired and we naturally we were in like i said a part of the park that was not at all um well described or well well marked and so we had to kind of improvise and and we knew that based on our map that we had uh, we were pretty confident that the lakes at least were in this the right spot and we were pretty confident about where we were on the map um and going off of that we had a pretty good idea of where the portages should be logically based on being the two closest points between the, the lakes. Obviously, that's not entirely true most of the, all the time, but it's a good rule of thumb to think about. Um, so we, our group had paddled up to this um, part of the lake that we thought would have a portage, and we couldn't find any markings, which wasn't actually that uncommon for, for this, this trip, being a, a remote backwoods, um, not backwoods, but a, a, a pretty remote park. It wasn't uncommon that there wouldn't be uh, an orange sign or like a, an obvious place to pull your boats out, but most of the portages at least had um, uh, like I can't remember what it's called, but like uh, where you like take your axe and you like kind of chop out some of the tree tree bark. For some reason, I want to call it like a, a flashing, but I don't think that's it. Um, anyway, so we we were kind of looking for something like that, um, and we could not find anything anywhere. Um, a couple times we had gotten, we'd sent someone out of the boats to go take a look around, but still like didn't see anything. Uh, we decided we would take a little snack in the boats, um, you know, fuel up, hydrate up. And, and then if we couldn't find this, this portage entrance then we would, we would try to make camp somewhere on the lake we were already on, but that wasn't the best idea because at least on the, like in the area we could see it was pretty dense foliage. So there wasn't really a place to set up your, your, your tent or your camp which was actually pretty consistent with the rest of the park. Again, being a remote access park, there wasn't exactly tent platforms or even really campsites. Like a couple of nights, we just like found a, an area of trees that had somewhat less density and we would just set up our, our tents in random spots and then kind of like make our own trails between them. So we did kind of want to get to a site or what we thought was would be a site. Um, and so we, we were there sitting in our boats and we had a bit of a snack, drank some water, and we were looking around for any signs of, of this, this trail. And like I said, a couple times we sent some people out, looking around, didn't see anything, didn't see anything. And so we were getting kind of, it was probably getting closer to like five o'clock at this point, And we decided um, we'll do one more check. And then if we don't see anything, then we'll, we'll call it a day. And so we send one more person out, and I think we actually sent one of the um, teaching assistants. Like, so we had a, a prof, uh, a teaching assistant, and then the, the group of students. And the teaching assistant, I think it was him, um, he got out onto shore, 
And I, I kid you not, we had been looking off for this trail in exactly the right spot. We just happened to not find the path. Like it was pretty overgrown, so it wasn't that unreasonable. We couldn't find it. But it was marked with a pot that was upside down on a tree. So it, it had a hole. It, was, it had a rusted out bottom. And someone had taken the pot, turned it upside down, put it on a tree. And then the tree had grown up branches around it. And so it was just like... In, so it was a tree that had a pot around it and we just didn't see it. It was a cedar tree and it was, it had lots and lots of, of green foliage on it and we just didn't see it. Uh, so eventually we, we did see it <laughs> and we found the path. Uh, and so then we, we, we kind of knew how long it was going to be the, the portage based on the, the map. I think, I think it was somewhere around 700 meters, 700 meters to a kilometer Either that or it was two kilometers. I think it was about 700, 800 meters. And it was, I'm, I'm shocked we even really found the trail, to be honest, and were able to keep following it. It was a, a single track. You could walk with a canoe on your head and kind of follow the path along, but like no one could pass you on either side because it was just such dense forest. And it was mossy. It was so mossy. The whole park was really, really mossy, which was really cool because it made for some of the best toilet paper I've ever had on trip. Not even kidding. It, moss is even better than real toilet paper. And it rivals bidets uh, because you can pick it up, wipe, and put it right back where you found it upside down. And it's like the most ecological thing next to water. Anyways, so we were walking along this trail, super mushy, super wet, and super narrow we're walking along it takes probably i mean in my brain it takes 20 minutes to do one pass of this port this portage uh probably wasn't I, maybe it wasn't that long i mean i say in my brain but it's still in my brain and that's what i think so so the first two-thirds of this portage are are that narrow and 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 straight are actually kind of narrow and windy and mushy and easy to roll your ankle and because it was so such a long portage and we were a small group i think we were only 12 people um it was pretty easy to be very spread out on the portage we weren't using boundless protocols with the fact going last and checking in with people we were all just like working hard and there was a couple a couple of really serene moments on the trail where no one was around you and it felt like if you just like took a step to the left and didn't look backwards you were in such an incredibly remote location. Like you were, you were gone. If you, if you wanted to disappear, all it took was one step to the left. And that was it. You'd be disappeared forever. Um, absolutely beautiful. So gorgeous, but kind of, kind of thrilling to be so, so remote and so away, but also so reliant on your team. Anyways, this, this isn't even the good part of the story. So the first two-thirds kind of kind of mossy, mossy and, and sludgy. And then you, you would come up to uh, Barren Rock. So that was the other half of the, this environment. It was, it was all Canadian Shield. Um, kind of, so if you picture like the lookout at Boundless, it looked a lot like that. Um, so we were walking, and then you'd come to this, this rocky section. You'd go up over the rocks and then come down. And then the last third of the portage you could see the lake because it was through a section that had been burned in in recent years and so 
there, there was a couple sections on this trip where there would be burn swaths and, and you would be paddling through areas that looked like you were to take a stick out of, a, out of an ash pit and just stab it into the ground and there was nothing else. It was, it was, it felt like Mordor almost or like um, a hellish place, but it was beautiful hellish in a weird way that like you could, you could see what once was there and you could see what was trying to come back but you could see all the way through it. So you, you came over this bridge and then suddenly it was like dead lands to the lake. And so you'd come down off the rocks and there were, there wasn't actually a path after the rocks. Cause like maybe there probably was in the past, but there wasn't at the moment. And so you had to like kind of make your own way, but it wasn't hard to make your own way because there was nothing in the way is what we thought. <laughs> so, so you, you just finished this like 500 meters of, of swampy muck. Then you came over this, this rock ledge and then you had to find a path to the lake, which it wasn't hard to see, but this, the type of terrain that was between the rocks and the lake was like nothing I'd ever seen before and nothing I've ever seen since. There was a layer of, so there was like the trees and then where the trees met the ground is what, exactly what you'd expect it to look like. Um, or like it was exactly what you would assume would be the ground. But then if you step in the wrong place, you fell through about three feet of nothing and then you hit the ground again. So there was this like false layer of earth that you would hope you didn't fall through on. It, it felt like when you have a, like, we know when you have like a foot of two feet of snow and then it kind of rains and then the top layer of snow gets crusted over and it sometimes supports your weight and sometimes doesn't and you punch through and then sometimes by the act of like trying to hop back up you punch through again and you just keep punching through the ground every step it was kind of like that except there was nothing else underneath it you you would just fall down and i, I don't know what was underneath but i only can only assume it was kind of like water flowing over top of rocks because you'd fall through and your feet would get wet and you'd be on solid ground, but you don't know what, what it was really. Maybe it was just more dirt, but you'd end up not trusting your step on any, your foot on any step and you'd be tempted to step closer to the roots of, of the dead trees because they, they would hold this, the soil together a little better and you could hold your weight on it. But then you'd be terrified to step over top of a dead tree because if your foot went through, you'd then be like, skewered by the tree that you were stepping over top of because it was a burned out shaft or, or trunk of a, of a sapling. And so it was like, it like it still had the coals from the burn from like a year or two ago, but it also still had a bit of dried out wood underneath it. So it was like, if you were to like rub off all the, the ash from it, you would just have a bunch of, of spikes standing, sticking up out of the ground, but they were all hidden and you didn't know how dangerous they were or if they were dangerous at all. And so we had to cross this, this 200 meters of, of fire swamp is what we called it because it, it, was, it wasn't on fire nor were there giant rats, but you, you couldn't trust any step. And, so, and some of us decided that the best, best way to approach this was to tromp through it and just like try to break down onto the bottom layer, which is what me and Nathan did. We were the two heaviest guys on the trip. 
Um, I, I resorted to that, but originally I tried the other technique, which uh, some of the lighter people on the trip did, which was like to like step near the, the base of trees, but not over trees, so that you could have the, the strength of the roots. And so then, that was that was kind of like what that section felt like. It was it was un, uncertain, but really adventurous, and it almost felt like you were playing on a playground that had real consequences because we were still this was only like probably day six or seven of the trip, I think. So we were still pretty early on in our tri- in our trip. So if we needed an evacuation, it was easily going to be twenty four hours, if not more, before any of us would get to a hospital. Like like think of how remote the Des Moines River is times 10 like the Duane River is pretty far away and it is tricky to get to a spot where an airport an air, airplane can land on the water but this was like we had lots of places for airport airplanes to land but it would take the airplane so long to get to us which was kind of the the, the crazy part so we were tromping through these this fire swamp then at the end of the fire swamp where the ground started to be a little more trustworthy it became deep, thick mud for the last probably 30 meters of this, this, this trek. And so you'd, you'd go from not being able to trust your feet to knowing that your feet would get stuck. And the goal was just to keep your shoes because if you lost your shoes halfway through this trip, you were kind of done for. And not, not done for, but like it meant you wouldn't be having dry shoes at camp. I can't even remember if we brought dry shoes for camp. We must have. But it also meant that we were not we were not not sure how to traverse it, and we still had these huge food barrels, which we were not even close to coming through, going through because we had been eating so much fresh fish. So we weren't even eating half of our food; we were just carrying it around. So this crazy portage was fine for the first two thirds, a crazy landmine mess for the last third, and then the final stretch was just like this even muckier muck than you ever mucked in your muck. And we had to do the portage like three times because there was so much shit that we brought. Like we tried to bring as little as we could, but holy moly macaroni, did we have a lot of crap. And so this, this portage took us probably a good like three or four hours to do. I think by the time we were paddling, paddling away, it was probably like 7.30. Like the sun was just going down. And then we had to go and find a campsite. And maybe I'm mixing the days up, but then that, that campsite that we were looking for, like I said, the maps weren't trustworthy. We ended up just like looking for anywhere, any break in the trees that we could find. And we kind of found one. It was like uh, one of those campsites that I was talking about where you just had trees plopped up in any random spot and, and a, a bit of a path between them. But that was That was the best we could do. And so luckily no one got hurt and there is a picture of us at the end of that fire swamp um, on, on my laptop, my, my school laptop that I have. Uh, if you remind me when you hear this podcast, I'll, I'll do my best to try to, try to find it. Um, I don't have that, that laptop with me right now. I'd actually uploaded as the photo of, of this one, but I, I don't have it with me. Um, and that was, that was the, the fire swamp of my... 3370 trip. It was a hell of a portage, easily one of the hardest ones I've ever done. And that includes the Des Moines portage around the uh, uh, Grand Chute that had uh, crazy bugs and trees down. Like, at least that one had solid ground. This one was just bonkers.
So I hope you enjoyed my my rambling story of the 3370 Fire Swamp of Doom. We were muddy and hungry and tired, but it was honestly one of the most fun <laughs> and unique portages I've done. Hardest, but very fun, and a memory I'll have for a while. I hope you enjoyed my story of the Fire Swamp. Uh, I love you a whole lot, Ren, and I'll... I'll talk to you soon, hopefully, over Skype or something. I love you so much. Bye now.